Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The book of Acts has everything but dinosaurs. Mark Allen Powell writes in his book, The Introduction to the New Testament, it's got earthquakes, shipwrecks, avenging angels, harrowing escapes, riots, murder plots, political intrigue, courtroom drama. Yes, the book of Acts has everything but dinosaurs. It does have a lot in it, action-packed and dramatic. But what more could we expect from a book that was written to tell the aftermath, the wave that was begun with the death and resurrection of God's own son? What more would we expect from volume two of the gospel? In fact, Luke had written two volumes, and the book of Acts is an extension of the gospel of Luke. It is sent and launched out of the empty tomb into all the world, and this is telling us the one account, historically and dramatically, of how God and Jesus Christ continued to be working in the world that God was saving after Jesus ascended into heaven. That Jesus is not far off and distant. He's not aloof from what's going on. He's not just waiting around to come back when the time is right. But by the sending of his Holy Spirit, he is still here. He is still working, and he is still putting forth a witness to his living presence and truth. He changes things. Something's different after Jesus rises from the dead. Something is different, and it's not the way that it was before. Things have changed. We can think of all sorts of examples of times in our lives when a moment in our life, an experience we go through, changes things. Sometimes in little ways, sometimes in big ways. But nothing is bigger than what changed when Jesus rose from the dead, and that's the basis for the birth, for them to witness the birth of a new child, the Holy Christian Church. An author named N.T. Wright wrote a book called Surprised by Hope. And in the book, he deals with some of the objections to the resurrection, some of the scholarly and less than scholarly claims that Jesus never really rose bodily from the dead. Some of them are almost comical, like Jesus faked it. Some are maybe understandable. The disciples imagined it. Or someone stole the body. Some are as, as early as the time when it actually happened that people were claiming someone stole the body. So Wright breaks down these objections and shows that you know, they don't really hold up when you press it. When you put it against the actual evidence of what was happening in the early church based on all the documents we have, based on the records that were given from the Gospels, from Acts, from Paul and from the early church, the answer you come up with is not this idea that they didn't witness anything. 
He says that it is, in fact, an objective truth that Jesus rose from the dead, but we cannot leave it merely as an objective fact. If the resurrection were only an objective fact, why wouldn't everyone accept it? If it were only an objective truth, then an article like this book could argue intellectually and reason you right into it and persuade everyone to believe based on the evidence that it really did happen. The question is not whether or not there's enough evidence to say it really happened. The question is whether it's possible. Whether you believe God can raise the dead, whether you believe Jesus is God's own son, whether you believe God sent Jesus into the world, whether you believe his death had significance beyond a cruel and false crime. He says it's both objective and subjective. The crossing together of objective truth based on the evidence of what we see and then also subjective based on the faith that God puts in our heart through the Holy Spirit to believe it's true, it's possible, it's necessary, it's God's love dealing with our sins. What cannot be denied, however, whether you're a skeptic, and by the way, there were skeptics in the early church too, this idea that the modern world somehow has scientifically discovered, no, this can't really happen, that people rise from the dead, no. There were skeptics in Paul's day, there were skeptics in Peter's day, there were skeptics back into the Old Testament. People did not all agree on the resurrection from the dead. In fact, that was the one central thing that put the Apostle Paul on trial and sent him to Rome. It was about the hope of the resurrection. It was about this fact. Something is different. No one could deny that something had changed after Jesus. For instance, let me tell you it in terms of a parable. You head over to your neighbor's house. You drive past your neighbor's house. Day after day, week after week, month after month, and you notice you never see your neighbor. You haven't seen your neighbor for three months. The lawn is overgrown. The weeds are coming up all over the place. It looks like a mess, and you decide you should go over and check on your neighbor. So you go over, you walk through the weeds and the grass, you see the mess in the yard, and you knock on the door. There's no answer. You peek in through the small slot in the curtains to see a house that's a mess. Garbage all over the th place, things scattered about, papers left piled up. And you think, I should go inside. And sure enough, the door's unlocked, so you head inside, you start looking around, you start shouting, anybody home? And sure enough, the neighbor is there, in bed, and says, leave me alone, I don't want to talk to anyone. So you figure there's nothing more you can do there, and you leave a bowl of soup and a loaf of bread on the counter, and you say, I'll come back tomorrow. So the next day, you get up early, 
The sun's just come up a few hours and you come over to your neighbor's house to see and check in on him again. Only this time you come over and everything's different. The lawn's cut. The weeds are pulled and there's your neighbor standing out in the front yard, kneeling down in the dirt, planting flowers. Something's different. Your neighbor sees you coming by and says, hey, I thought you might come by. Come on inside. Invites you in through the front door and you notice the house has been picked up. Things are starting to get put back in order. There's pictures ready to be hung on the wall. There's paint cans out. There's plaster ready to repair the holes. And you smell what's cooking. Breakfast. Loaves and fishes. Your neighbor invites you in. Says, come and eat with me. Now as you leave that scene, what questions are on your mind? What are you thinking? What questions would you ask? You don't really know what happened during the night. But what cannot be denied is that between what happened the morning before and what happened the night, that night and the day after, things are different. No matter who would come by and witness this, no matter who would see what had happened, they would have to agree things are different. As Wright puts it in his book, when you wake up in the morning, you notice the room has been disturbed. Something's happened. The word that Luke uses to describe who you are in this story is the Greek word martyr. The Greek word martyr we often think of having to do with someone who dies for the faith or for a cause, a martyr who dies. And that's true, but that's not the only way it's used. The word most basically means a witness. It has a twofold meaning. A martyr is someone who sees what happens. A martyr is someone who tells others what happened. So a martyr is both someone who was there to see it and then also someone who is going out telling others or who is in a courtroom or a place of law or a place of swearing an oath to what they saw. You are a martyr. You can see and tell something is different. In fact, this was the qualifications for becoming an apostle. When the church had to deal with the loss of Judas because he hung himself after he betrayed Jesus, they had to find an apostle to replace him. And as they put two men forth as possible candidates, the qualifications was that they had witnessed the resurrection, that they had lived and talked and walked with Jesus, that they saw him die and they saw him rise. In order to be an apostle, you had to be a witness to the resurrection, so you had to see it. And then from there, the apostles went out and they became the second part of being a witness. They had to tell others. They saw it and they told about it. They were martyrs. From this, the whole church becomes a witness. The whole church witnesses to the world of what we've seen and what we're able to tell them. Are we able to explain it? 
Are we able to reason someone into believing it? Are we able to use scholarly debate and books like the one I'm referencing to try to convince someone who doesn't believe Jesus rose from the dead? That's not what a witness does. A witness tells people what they saw. Whether they can explain it or not, in the morning, the day before, the the world was one way. The day after, the world was a different way. And the movement of Christianity that began with the resurrection of Jesus changed the world as we know it. It came at a time of much uh, much turmoil in history, of world empires fighting it out for domination. And here's this little tiny movement that by the end of the book of Acts, they call the sect of the Nazarenes because they follow Jesus of Nazareth. This little sect that needs to be done away with and squashed. The ones that the Jewish people are bringing out and they're beating Paul for what he's preaching. They're locking him in prison. They're trying to shut him up. And yet they can't. Because the witness won't be silenced. Well, you might not have been there in the dark of the night. You see what's happened in the morning. What was dead is alive. What was lost in darkness is now letting the curtains open and light is streaming in. What was once hopeless is now filled with hope. Or the title of Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. The church is born out of this hope into a new age, a new beginning that actually marks the calendars we use still to this day. Whether you call it the common era or before the common era, whatever you call it, no one can deny that history was marked by the events we're talking about. Something is different. The martyrs are seeing something and they're telling something And that witness extends into a third phase. They're living something. Not only do they see it, not only do they tell it, but now they live it. Something is different in the way these people, Peter and John, Paul and Silas, are living their lives. The house was once a mess. Now it's being put in order. They're planting flowers They're displaying artwork. They're inviting people to breakfast. The church is doing things that cannot be explained by anything else than a movement of God. So we look at chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. N.T. Wright suggests in his book where the crossing over of the objective truth of the resurrection and the subjective receiving of it by faith cross 
is where God gives birth to love. Love is the thing you see in the morning. Love is the thing that wasn't there, that is there now. Love is that remaining living evidence that Jesus has done something and he's continuing to do something, and the New Testament calls it agape. The word agape means a fellowship, sacrificial love. A love that witnesses to what Jesus did. Agape comes out of what Jesus did and can only be found in what Jesus has done for us. It's found in the one who came out of heaven, gave up all his rights, would not serve himself, and washed our feet. He gave himself up on a cross to the curse that we deserve for our selfishness. And then when he rises from the dead, he says, peace to you. Things are different. That love continues in the church. A church willing to share a bowl of soup and a loaf of bread to someone who is lost in hope and won't get out of bed. And so we are living martyrs, not dead martyrs. That we see there's more to live for than anyone can see with the circumstances the world is living in. Jesus turns the world upside down. And this love goes out to the world, it goes out to each other here, and it goes out to God most of all. First of all, think of how the love goes out to the world. This is the love that built hospitals when there were none to care for the sick and the needy. This is the love that started schools so people could get an education and learn. This is the love that promoted democracy, free markets, that served and volunteered and gave to the poor. This is the love that goes out into the world and does things. And the church has always been the birthplace of these efforts. That love continues to go out as we look for places where we can witness that love for others. But that love is also here and even more importantly being shared among us as a church. The book of Acts says they were of one heart and one soul. Do you know what that means? To be one heart and one soul as a congregation. It means there are no individual rights or preferences or opinions, even though there are. Nothing will win out over the love of God and what God is trying to do. Jesus asks Peter, after he rises from the dead and they're on the shores of Galilee, do you love me? That's his question. And it's that love that Jesus says will go out to care for the sheep in the messy places, in the hurting relationships, not to close curtains, but to open doors for breakfast. That love teaches, admonishes, with long-suffering, forgives, even though it rebukes and directs one another by the Holy Spirit. 
But that love is not just for the world. It's not just for each other. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. It's for God. It's for the God who sent his son into the world. The father we know that we are his children. The son who washed his feet. The one who invites us into his holy house and feeds us with the bread of life. That love for God is number one. But we should beware. Martyrs are not always received. That love is not always welcome. In fact, that love stirs up conflict. And while there might not be dinosaurs in the book of Acts, we know there are dragons. And as you read through the story, you'll find out there's a dragon behind it. And everywhere the apostles are going, trying to share and proclaim the love, it's fighting back. It's not long in Peter and John, after giving that great sermon and seeing so many converted and coming to Christ, are locked up in prison for what they're preaching. It's not long before the darkness of greed and lying leads Ananias and Sapphira to betray God and they die on the spot. It's not long until Stephen is brought up before charges of blasphemy and the anger and rage of the dragon is turned against him and he's stoned to death. That's why the word martyr has taken on the ultimate meaning of one who dies for Christ. Because the love for Jesus is greater than the love for anything in this world to the point where every one of us has to search our own hearts and say, am I ready to die for what I believe in? Whether or not we ever have to face that, this is the ultimate witness, what we call martyrdom. And it's something that the enemies of Christ can never take away. No matter what governments, powers, institutions, and enemies of Jesus will raise up against his church, what frustrates them more than anything else throughout the whole story of Acts and to today is that they can't take your life. That even in death, you still have hope. So no matter how anyone would force you into what you should think or try to tell you where you should go to school or how you should live your life, Christians know at the end of the day they can take our goods, our fame, our child, our wife, and even our own life, and they still have nothing won because the kingdom remains ours. Why? Because we are witnesses of his resurrection. Amen.